It's one we've uh, talked about before, so it's not brand new to us by any means. I want to focus on a certain part of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but Ever had someone do that to you? <laughs> or this one? All right, I'm going to keep preaching because uh, he was falling asleep or talking. Uh, what happens when people come close to you or stare at you? You want to share with us? You get red in the face. <laughs> I tried to say, I love you, I love you, in a nice way, good, good thoughts. I didn't want to give her a bad look. You know, go, nice thoughts, nice thoughts, nice thoughts. But... It is interesting because when people get close to you or when people enter, have you ever had these situations? Some of you have experienced this. Uh, being a pastor, it happens to me on and off. Some of you are the bosses or the foreman, right? And uh, some of you are teachers and some of you have done all these things like that. And you come walking into the room, or parents, this one, parents know this one too. You come walking into the room and everybody gets quiet or everybody starts to look busy or everybody stops talking. Or everybody, and you kind of go, all right, what were you doing, right? It's the very next thing. It's kind of like by the very nature of your entering your presence in that room, everything shifts. Or by your very nature of entering the room, the conversations change. Uh, This is the pastor. Oh, I guess we have to talk about religious things now, right? Or this is the boss. Well, I guess we better talk about business then, right? And it it is by its uh, dynamic that we don't always understand. And so it's very easy for us because in one sense we can relate to feeling guilty a lot. Why are you staring at me, right? Why are you picking on me? Uh, I do that to kids once in a while. I'll just stare at them and they'll go, what? <laughs> I go, good, I just want to see if you're paying attention. You know, or, or they were doing something wrong and I just stare at them without, I, I try not to give them the look, but it's the look. You know, it's kind of like, I love you, I love you, I love you in my head, so it's not like, you know, the old one-eye look. And uh, then finally they just, they, that first they look at you and they look away and they look up and they look away. And then the whole class has no idea what's going on and finally the person looks at you and goes, I said, have we talked? Have we communicated? You're going to stop? Your, you, know, you know, they stop talking or they put away their cell phone or whatever nasty thing they've been doing or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Proximity, closeness, the coming of Christ is a very interesting thing. When Christ enters and you get close to God, one of the reactions that you sometimes get is red in the face. We get intimidated. The power and the presence of God has a tendency to uh, expose us. Right? It it, it kind of enters our world and it it intimidates us. We back off of it. And uh, by the very presence of Christ entering our world and into our circumstances, it's not unusual for people to feel unbelievably defensive, unbelievably guarded, and everything else like that. Maybe you've experienced it if you were were ministering to people, or you're dealing with your kids, or you're in a situation with a friend, and here's this college friend, and you kind of look at him and say, well, what's that guy like in your life? And all of a sudden they go, you know, you feel them emotionally, they step back from you. You feel the walls and the guarding go up. Well, what do you mean? Or you walk up to a man and ask him the question, how have you been treating your wife? Have you heard this one on the radio? What have you done for your marriage today? Heard that one? Great question. 
So what have you done lately for your marriage? And they're struggling to find these things. You know, well, I changed the baby diaper. Oh, that really helped, you know. One guy goes, I obeyed everything she said. <laughs> I thought, that one I understand, you know. What have you done? And all of a sudden, you go, if you're not careful, these walls can go up. And rather than having it be a moment of self-examination of something beneficial, you find these defensive things being put in place. The very nature of the coming of Christ into the world is, why are you here? Are you here to do something? And so I wanted to focus and make you and I remember that this is not a God coming into the room to try and intimidate and destroy. The problem, of course, is I have a lot of stuff that I make excuses for and justify and rationalize. If you're anything like me, when Christ walks in the room, I get behave differently. My behavior, attitude, and tone changes. Almost the same way I would imagine when I walk in a room and somebody, oh, well, I guess we better not use those words right now. All right? Or I guess we better not do this anymore. Mom's with us now. We'll start treating each other differently and we'll stop fighting or whatever the case might be. And so it's easy for us to misunderstand because God has revealed to us in Christ, I'm going to tell you why I came. In case you've forgotten, I want you to understand it clearly because it becomes critically important. And that's where this section in Timothy suddenly begins to communicate it. You start looking down there at verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves uh, a whole, accept it in its totality of what it implies, okay? Here is something you can rest on. The old, you can take this to the bank. This is something that you can entrust your life to. And you need to entrust your life to it because otherwise those feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment will overwhelm you. Remember back in the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve sinned? What was the first byproduct or one of the first byproducts of their sin? First, their relationship with one another. They begin to cover themselves. In their relationship with God, they, they hide. So here they are, hiding from God, and God says, Where are you, Adam? Who told you you were naked? And Adam goes, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid. Here's God who has given Adam everything he has, including his very life. And the first thing that sin does to the relationship between this man and God is create fear. And the reason the fear is created is not because God has come to hurt or God has come to you know, destroy him, the reason the fear is created is Adam now has been exposed to the compromise in his own life. And the first thing that comes into his head, he says, if somebody did to me what I just did to you, God, I would make them afraid of me. You understand? You promised faithfulness. You promised to be a witness. You promised to be a light to the world. And you've got all this compromise that comes flooding into your life. And you hear the sound of God walking in the garden. You hear the sound of your husband, your wife, your mom, or your dad. And you are suddenly purified by sheer fear of their presence in your life. And God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, What are you doing? What are you doing this for? We were studying Hebrews with Mr. Allison there, and the passage started with, the law of God is good. I can't think of the very the phrasing, and uh, it was started in, in Hebrews 11 there, or excuse me, verse 10. And uh, at the very beginning of the, the verse, it says this, the law is only a shadow 
of the good things that are coming. Well, how do you and I usually react to law? We feel like it's the bad thing, like it's something that hurts us and punishes us. Here the writer of Hebrews says the law is only a foreshadowing, a tiny little morsel of all the good things that are coming. If you're sitting next to somebody you're in love with, is it a real problem to hear the law love the person that you're sitting next to? No, it makes you feel good. It's, it's already fulfilled in your life, in your actions. You don't have to react or get negative about it. You understand? If you understand what love truly is and the provide and protect thing that I taught you a while back, you begin to understand, let's evaluate. Are you really loving this person? Do you protect him or her from all compromise? Are you protecting them? by the commitment you make to them of what you would not do to them sexually, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, so that they would not be shamed or embarrassed whether you stay or don't stay with them? Are you living in such a way that they feel and know and understand that they are protected by you? And are you providing for them? Do you focus on those things that encourage and build up a life relationship with God? Are you providing for them an environment where the things that really matter are happening in their lives? Do they sense your presence as being supportive and nurturing and uplifting to them? Provide and protect. And so you begin to understand if God walks into the room and you you understand how the law works, you begin to feel all the compromise. And God says, no, my law is good because when my law is expressed, when everything is completed it will accomplish all that I intended it to do. This will be what you mean when you say, I love my wife or I love my husband. Have you ever seen those movies or heard of situations where the guy says, I love my wife, and he's beating on her? Have you ever heard that unbelievable compromise that we can get ourselves into where you find these, I love this and I love that, but at the same time, if you ask the question, are you protecting and are you providing, the question collapses because they have it all messed around the wrong way. And so the challenge God has here is to say, listen, I haven't come in to just make you feel more guilty and more ashamed and more embarrassed. I'm going to tell you why I came. Here's a trustworthy servant saying that deserves full reception and acceptance. Christ Jesus, the promised one Jesus, came into the world to save, to rescue, to bring change into the life of sinners. Because they were drowning, they were dying, they were lost. There was no hope for those individuals. Why did I come? I didn't come to judge, I didn't come to hurt, I didn't come to beat you up. I mean, God looks at you and me and says, I know what life is like. I know how many temptations you dealt with this last week. I know how hard it is to live with your wife or your husband. I understand what sacrifice is. I understand what it means to not be appreciated. I understand what it means to be taken for granted. I understand that there are people in your life and circumstances that don't know and don't care the way they should. He said, I understand those things. I didn't come into your world to judge. I came into this world to save sinners. Now, Paul, in this next breath, we've, been, we've touched it before, it goes, of whom I am uttermost, the top of the pile. I mean, I asked the question, and I did happen to notice who stood up first, by the way, but I will not point it out, okay? Uh, you know, who is the chief of sinners? Well, the answer is, I am. In my world, in my life, you don't know half of my sin. I don't know half of yours either, right? But let me tell you the truth. 
In my world, in my life, if I get honest with myself, I am uttermost. I can't believe that the love of God and the mercy of God is being offered to me today or at any time in my life because if someone did to me what I've done to God and what I continue to do to God in the name of self-righteousness or hypocrisy or whatever the stupid, stupid thing I'm coming up with, I would not forgive myself. I wouldn't instead just hold me accountable. I'd crush me. If I had the power to do that, haven't you been hurt and all you want to do is hurt back? Haven't you been hurt and said, I won't love this person again? Haven't you felt those things where love shuts down and shuts off? And you say, you've hurt me the last time. And I look at you and I say, do you understand how many times I have done that to God? How many times the hurt and the compromise and the, and the bitterness and the, everything that I've done would, should make him just shut down and say, I will not allow you to hurt me again. And you walk into this circumstance and what do you hear from God? That the chief of sinners has been forgiven because I came to save people like that. I came to save people trapped in their own garbage. I came to save people trapped in their own compromise. I came to save people who don't know any better and even when they know better, they continue to repeat the wretched junk that moves and wrecks their lives and the lives of their family and everybody else around them. That's why I'm here. Okay? Brad used this illustration. It was really from one of our students at school. He said when he goes to religion class, he feels like he's uh, crawling in there, being brought in on a stretcher. And as he sits there listening to the word being preached, you get this infusion of fresh blood. And for the first time, you feel life coming back into you. And he was describing how it's like for him to come to school and go to chapel and participate in religion class and and uh, you know, participate in Mr. Alice's class and have that infusion of the freshness of life poured into us? The answer is God knows it's hard to love people. The answer is God knows it's hard to forgive people. The answer is God knows when you've been hurt one, two, or 102 times, it's hard to pick it up and walk back down the path. I came to save and rescue people like that. I came to give you what you need so that you can function differently. I didn't come to point out that's your 137th time. I didn't come to say that's it no more for you. I came to walk in a different kind of attitude with you. So it becomes extremely important. All right? I came to save sinners of whom I am the worst, but for this very reason, I was shown mercy. You see, there's no way, if you take this to your own heart, that you don't catch how to preach the gospel. Kids, what did your card say again? It's from God. What did it say? Someone shout it out to me. Louder. Get out of hell free. That on the side it said paid in, paid in full. You understand? Every day you need that card in your own heart. Every day you need to be able to look at that and understand the power of what that's communicating. You can't walk up to God and say, wow, I did it right, because as soon as we do that, you miss out on the beauty of what goes on here. And he says, I am the chief of sinners, but for the very reason that I am the most wretched of the wretched, the most compromised of the compromised, the most inconsistent of the inconsistent, God showed mercy to me so that, and then you've got to pick up the second part, all right? For this reason, so that in me, the worst or chief of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited 
his unlimited patience. Do you understand? When you hear a brother or sister say, I just can't forgive him anymore. Jesus understands that. And he whispers to you, but I can give you the power. Understand, there is this work that God's got to do in my heart because I can't forgive. He or she hurt me too badly. There's been too many times. And God whispers the power of this miracle where he goes, watch what I've done for you. And finally you get to that point where you go and you process this and you go, Lord Jesus, this wicked, wicked person in my life, this terrible, compromised person in my life is nothing compared to what I've done to you. And I experience hope and purpose and meaning and joy because today I can come as chief of sinners and your unlimited patience continues to reach into my life and circumstance. Your mercy that is fresh and new today gives me that opportunity. I became an example, okay, that he might display his unlimited patience. And literally it means I became a pattern. Let me show you what this looks like. Here's Harmon. He is the chief of sinners. His wretch is upon wretch. Crime upon crime. Compromise upon compromise. And he takes his name and he puts it against his heart and he says, he belongs to me. And if I can save your pastor, I can save anybody. You understand? I become an example, said Paul. I am the pattern of what it means to be wretched. I am the pattern of what it means to be compromised. I am the pattern of what it means to be inconsistent. I am the pattern of what it means to be the chief of sinners. And the truth is, if Christ can reach out, grab hold of the Bruce Harmon pattern, and put it in his heart, and hold it there, and clutch it, and say, this man belongs to me, I look at you and say, would you at least learn from the truth of my example, that if God can save me, there is nothing else that that he cannot do in your life. There is nothing else he can't change. I have been so hateful to people I would want to kill them. You been that way ever? I mean literally take out a gun and kill them. And you know what God done? He said, I want this man. And he puts on this pattern of this man and he says, I want this man in my life and in my heart. And he said, I will change him. I will deal with him. I'll heal him. Can you picture yourself so wretchedly covered with sores and, and cancers that you can't move and you're sitting there just festering and, and you know, just having life ebb out of you and these pussy things and everything else. And God comes and says, I want this person. He picks you up and he clutches you to him and his life begins to flow into your body, into your spirit, into your life. That's who I am. None of you can tell me about compromise I haven't already lived. None of you can tell me about wretch and hatred and difficulty and shame and embarrassment and, and, and things that I haven't already demonstrated either far worse or equally to anything you've ever done. And I go, would you please understand the truth is this is the pattern. This wretch is willing to be saved or has, God, Christ is willing to save. And I go, that's the truth. And so as you get and understand that, he looks at you and he says, can we look at your pattern now? Can you join me? Can you look at your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend, your rotten boss, or whoever it might be? Can you look at them and say, look at the pattern of what God has done for you? And he goes, I can save this man. Oh no, God, he's too dead. He's too far gone. He's too, there's just no way. And God whispers, watch what I do. He reaches into this festering, smelly, dead corpse of a person and 
clutches him to him, and the life that is in God pours itself into you and me. And then he says, here is an example of what I can do. And there stands Paul. And how many times have you been blessed by what you've read that Paul recorded? How many times have you related to what he has done in what you've done? How many times can you relate to everything to his impetuousness, his stubbornness, his arrogance, his pride, his inconsistency, everything that's testified to about Paul from his own life and his own witness? How many times have you seen the miracle of that pattern clunging or brought to Christ's heart, poured that life into this man, and now he looks at you and says, of whom I am chief, therefore you need to understand the power of that witness. And then it goes, and it goes, uh, on his unlimited patience as an example for those who would entrust, rest on him, okay, and receive life eternal. And then he finishes it off with these beautiful words of praise. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is true. Well, how come Paul said that? Because in his world, it was the only way he understood and experienced life and forgiveness. Paul came to the end of himself, knew what he had come through. I said Peter before, didn't I? I meant Paul. Paul came to the end of himself, and he, in his wretch, in his behavior, in his killing of Christians, and all the things, he puts all of this together, and he makes this statement about who he is. And God says, you are a pattern of who I came to save. That's why he could love people. That's why he could forgive. It was the awareness of that balance. And so in one sense, all of us adults are given that get-out-of-jail-free card. All of us are given this is the free gift. All of us are given the real focus of Christmas. Why can't we get the focus back on why he came? Why can't we, understanding that he came to save sinners, explain Christmas like we've never explained it before? Why can't we demonstrate what God is really trying to communicate for you, for you, and for your children, and for your children's children, and for all those who will believe through you because you didn't compromise, because you knew what it really meant, because you stood up and said, Chief of Sinners, God has saved me. You don't keep living up the Chief of Sinners. Don't misunderstand me. This is not... I'm going to brag because I'm chief of sinners. This is not the stupidity I demonstrated sometimes in college where I said, well, i got to practice all the sins so I can really understand them when I preach about them. You ever pulled that one? I got a list so long, like I told you. And uh, here is God's message to you and I this Christmas. I came to save sinners. I came for you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that not only a spirit of freedom would wash across us, a freedom that comes from understanding the depth of your love, but I pray that there would be a spirit of freedom that would set us free to love, to forgive, to make a difference in the lives of people around us. I pray, Lord, that we would not reach into our own self to find the mercy and the grace, but that we would rest, that if you can take a life like Paul's, a life like Peter's, a life like the other apostles, if you can take the life of a pastor like me, and wash it over by the power of your mercy and your grace and make me a new creature to allow me and give me permission to understand prayer, to discover unbelievable mercy and grace and forgiveness that I've never deserved, to help me taste and understand the presence of your spirit in my mind and my heart, 
to know, Lord, that you are more than willing to work in spite of me, through me, or around me. To realize that as you have called me into this kingdom, you are going to accomplish your purposes continually in my life. I pray, Lord, that we would be recreated today. That in a fresh new spirit, we would speak the truth of you have been set free. You have been declared righteous. You have been made free by the truth of Christmas. I have come to save sinners of who I am the chief. Lord, work that in our hearts so that all that is good and beneficial, all that is a blessing, begins to manifest in our lives. And we pray that, Lord, we would never take you or anyone else's love or treasure for granted, but that we would live, Lord, every day, valuing it more than ever before. So come and uh, fill us with your presence and your love. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.